Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are a God who is beyond gracious towards us. We know that you give us grace in abundance and more than which we deserve. And so this morning as we open up your word and as we open up your gift, as we talk about suffering, we ask that you would teach us a spirit of humility, a spirit of learning, a spirit of discernment. And so as we look at the text that might not be something that we often preach about, that you would use this as a way to give us a new imagination and a new understanding of what it means to suffer well. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So this morning we, we, I I guess last Sabbath what I should have done is said that that was our last sermon on the series Fight Like a Christian and I was going to preach another sermon this morning on that same topic and the title was originally going to be How to Give Grace Even When It's Difficult. But what I realized is that really, if we look at the entirety of the sermon series, all of that teaches us how to give grace and be gracious and kind and loving towards others when it's especially difficult for us. And so this morning, instead of doing that sermon, um, that if I'm honest with you, I really didn't have anything planned for, um, instead we're going to be looking at a, at a subject that sometimes is difficult for us as Christians And it's something that I came across maybe three or four weeks ago as I was doing my morning reading. And I remember sitting, and and on that particular day, I think Carol was working, and I went down to the circle, and I went to one of my little favorite coffee shops. There was a Sunday morning. And on Sunday mornings, I usually spend a little bit longer in my devotional time because I don't really have to go anywhere on Sunday mornings. And I came across the daily readings that I use, and they were all about suffering, And it didn't talk about suffering in a negative way, but it talked about suffering almost as though suffering is a gift. And the more that I read, the more that I thought about it, the more I reflected about it, I realized that the Bible talks a lot about suffering. And oftentimes when the Bible writers write about suffering, it's either that God comforts us through the suffering or that suffering in itself leads to our growth and our wholeness as children of God. And so I thought to myself, one of these days I'm going to preach this sermon about suffering that is going to be a sermon for myself as well. And that's what the culmination of this morning's study and teaching is going to look at. And so this morning we're going to look at the title of the sermon is The Gift of Suffering. Now have you ever noticed that when other people suffer, we're okay with that? And let me tell you what I mean by this. Like, Like, we can be empathetic and we can feel bad when other people suffer, when our friends or when our families, when they suffer. You know, we can be empathetic enough to say, like, man, if that was me going through that, I know it would be super painful. But then as humans, we have this ability to compartmentalize that and say, well, I don't want to keep feeling bad about what they're going through. So what do we do? We allow ourselves to get distracted by something else. And sure, every once in a while, we might go back and think about that, and it'll make us feel bad. But through our own self-preservation, if we're not the ones going through it, we would rather not even feel the pain of their suffering when we're trying to be empathetic enough. So let me give you a couple of examples. This past week, I was at the hospital, and you might have read about this in the Orange County Register yesterday, but there was a 19-year-old young man who had been at a Halloween party, I think. It was a, yeah, it was Thursday early morning. 
and he got hit on the side of the head. There was a fight, an altercation. He got hit on the side of the head. He came into the hospital. It was about 1.30 in the morning, and he was 19 years old. We didn't know anything. Thankfully, we found out who he was. We were able to call his parents. And, I mean, can you imagine getting that call at 1.30 in the morning that your son has been admitted to the emergency department because he's been hit the side of the head? And I remember for that moment, I thought to myself, like, if I was a parent, I would want to know. And that's what helps me to be able to wake some of these parents up in the middle of the night, is that as bad as this news that they're going to get, it's even worse if they don't find out and something terrible happens. So unfortunately, this young man ended up passing away later that day. It was pretty bad. And I remember being there, and the neurosurgeon comes out, and he basically tells the parents, like, I don't think there's anything that we can do for him Like, this is a pretty bad, like, injury. And they said, well, can you do anything? And he says, well, we're going to do this, this, and this, but I got to tell you, I don't think he's going to make it. And I'm sitting there trying to put myself in those parents' shoes because as a chaplain, we're the ones that have to sit there with them after the news is given. And I just remember thinking, like, this is more than than I can bear, and I don't even know this family. And so I'm able to then say, well, I'm going to try to transition myself out of this, this feeling of pain and suffering because at the end of the day, I don't know these people. And so as humans, if someone else suffers, we feel bad for them, but then we're able to kind of try to go on with our day. You know, just on that, I think that same day earlier in the day, my brother-in-law and Josiah, you know, Josiah who always comes up here and does Bible readings or whatever, they were actually in a pretty bad car accident on Wednesday. And it was, th- thankfully, the worst that happened was that Lewis, my brother-in-law, broke his left foot. So it was a head-on collision. Um, it, thankfully, it was, I mean, they're okay. It wasn't their fault. And Josiah was in, I don't know, in the front seat, I guess, and he got bruised up, but he was mostly okay. And I remember thinking, like, man, this is close to home. This is my family. Like, I felt terrible, not just for Lewis, because for adults, we think to ourselves, like, well, adults are more seasoned when it comes to suffering and pain. Adults, they'll figure things out. But when it's a little kid, it makes it harder because you think, like, how afraid was he? How hard was this? How terrifying was this? And even that was sometimes a little too much for me. And so what do I do? I transition out of that and try to think of something more happy. And that's what we do as humans. But when suffering befalls you, when we are the ones that have to go through the crucible of pain and the suffering, you can't escape it. You're present to it every moment of every day. And so many times when we come to suffering, we are faced with two decisions. The suffering will either lead us to this mode of self-pitying and asking, why God, why God, why do these things always happen to me? Why is life so unfair? We can either go down that route Or we can go the route of saying, this is painful, and this is hard, and I wish I didn't have to go through this. But even in my suffering, I want to be able to give honor and glory to God. Now, I would say that for a person who is a follower of Jesus, that we would choose the path that says that even in our suffering, we will choose to give honor and glory to God. And we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't be honest with ourselves if we didn't say that we oftentimes try to go the, the road of self-pity. But to go the road that Jesus leads us down, you know, that, that narrow road, that difficult road, 
It's not about earning our salvation, but it's about following the path of Jesus and that even in suffering, we give praise and honor and worship to God. And that's what I want to look at this morning. So if you will open with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And here's what the scriptures tell us. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. So I just want to pause there for a second before we get to the text about suffering. You know, as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventists, we love these kinds of verses because it says, like, we, you and I, we have been justified. God has forgiven our sins. You stand before the judge of the universe, and God sees not your worst sins, but God sees that you are a believer in Christ, and God only sees you as a justified, forgiven son and daughter of God. That's what God sees. And it says, we have peace with God. Remember, this is important because there was a time when we were God's enemies, but because of the the death of Jesus on the cross and God's love and his forgiveness, we now have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And it is through Jesus that we have obtained access to this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Like, Like, this is like our Christianity's bread and butter. Like, yeah, we love it. And, and so many times I have, even in my last 12 years as being a pastor, I stop at this verse, and this is kind of like what we preach, and this is what we like to hear. But for Paul, it isn't just about the good things that come with faith, I mean, because we all want the goodness of faith. We all want the benefits of being a believer in Jesus. We all want the forgiveness and the grace and all of that that comes with what it means for us to be Christians. But Paul, he doesn't stop with just the goodness, but he goes on to verse 3. And he says, and not only that, but we also boast in what? Our suffering. Not only do we boast that we are forgiven. Not only do we boast that we stand justified and we are sealed with the assurance of our salvation, not only do we boast because we get all of the blessings and the goodness that God gives us, but we also boast in our sufferings. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says this, In this we rejoice, even now, For a little while, you've had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so even Peter says, like, even though we have to suffer for a little while, let's rejoice in this suffering. Because oftentimes it is through those moments of suffering that your faith is refined. Now, how many of you wish that you had, so recently, wasn't there like a $1 billion lottery? Was it something like that? Was it like, how many? 1.6 billion. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you how many of you bought a lottery ticket. But if you did and you won, we expect 10%. No, I'm just <laughs> Plus a tip for the pastor. No, I'm just but tell me, like, 
when I hear that much money, and I remember I was at the grocery store, and one of the ladies said, you know, I'd be okay with just one million, you know, and I was like, yeah, me too. But like, I do this, and I don't know if you do this, like, man, if I won that much money, here's what I would do, you know. And I, and I kind of go down the list of all the things that I would do. But I think, and I, and I tell Kara, I said, I, I think I could probably burn through like a million dollars pretty quickly, like in a week. Like I could probably buy enough things to spend a million dollars. But I think after that, it's like, well, what more do you really need? You know, like what more could you want? But we have this sense of thinking that if, if we just win the lottery, if we just get that job with that raise, if we just get a little bit more, we, we tend to think like life's going to be so much better. But what scripture tells us, and I love this about the Bible, is like, Peter says, you can have all the gold, but the one thing that's better than all the riches, than all the financial security, than all the things you think you need, the thing that is better than all of that is what? Faith. And faith isn't that hard to cultivate. You know, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit and we are given faith through God and in Jesus. And God freely gives us this faith and he says, you can have this and it is better than all of the riches, than all of the gold, than anything you could possibly want in this world that we all wake up every day and go to work trying to attain We try to get all of that, and God says, better than all of that is faith, and faith is free. It's free for us. It was costly for God. It was costly for Jesus, but faith is free. And so when we come to this text and we look at this suffering for the Bible writers, they didn't seem to be afraid of suffering They didn't seem to shy away from the trials and the tribulations because they knew that it is through the struggle of their faith that they were able to continue to grow in faith and grow in their relationship with God. And here's another Bible verse in James. It says, My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The testing of your faith produces endurance. And I think if the next slide is correct, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. But I think that here it is. So verse, so Romans, we're going to go back to Romans chapter 5, verse 3. And, and it reminds us not only this, so he says, we rejoice in the goodness and in the glory of God, but not only that, we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering leads to endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. You know, it's this powerful message of that suffering leads to endurance. Now, how many of you have ever run or done any kind of endurance sport? Like, I know I have. I love it. I try to. For whatever reason, my body doesn't seem to want to cooperate with me anymore. And so it seems like every time I try to run, something else hurts, and it's really frustrating. So I just add more tape to the, pl- the place that hurts, and it seems to work for now. But if you've ever been a part of any kind of endurance sport, you realize that even as difficult and as painful as the endurance sports are, the more that you do it, the stronger your body becomes, and the better you are able to face the next goal in your training schedule. 
And so when we think about endurance and when we think about suffering, we think of suffering that the more we suffer and the more we overcome, the more our endurance is going to grow. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And I love how the Bible writer says, and hope does not disappoint us. You know, when you go through suffering in your life, we want you to think about how this is actually a gift that is being given to you. That suffering is a gift if you accept it so that your faith may be strengthened. That suffering is given to you, and I'm not necessarily saying that God is forcing these things on you because I know that there are some moments in your life that are so painful that, and, and evil that I don't really believe that God would put those things on you, and we can talk about that afterwards. But we can use every moment of suffering to allow our endurance of faith to continue to grow. You know, to use the analogy of a marathon runner, I've told you these stories before how when I got, you know, when I trained for my marathon, it was terrible. It was, it was wonderful, but it was hard and it was difficult. And one of the things that I've learned as I'm getting a little bit older, I know some of you are going to laugh, but one of the things I realized that it's not just about how many miles I run, but it's about how I recover as well. It's about how I, how I fill my body with certain nutrients and certain ways to hydrate so that my body will last longer. And when we think about our life of faith, you see, there are things that are given to us to allow us to grow our faith. Prayer is one of those ways that you can continue to grow the endurance of your faith. When we study the, the Bible those are what we're filling ourselves with. And so if a runner fills themselves with electrolytes and carbohydrates and all that stuff, then perhaps filling, us, filling ourselves with the Word of God is how we fill ourselves to be ready that when we are in the midst of a moment of suffering, we can rely on the Word of God and on God Himself so that we can get through those moments that seem beyond bearable. And so Paul says, we boast in being justified and forgiven but we can boast in our sufferings as well. And I used to think that when Paul writes about this was, well, only boast in the kind of sufferings that are not self-inflicted. And what I mean by this is like, I thought Paul used to mean that you boast when you suffer in the name of Christ, which would seem to make sense because Paul and all of the apostles, they suffered in the name of Christ. They suffered because they were putting their life on the line. And so I thought that this meant that if you're being persecuted or if you're being hounded by other people for your faith, then you can boast in that suffering. But what I discovered by doing a little more research is that the word that Paul uses in the Greek for afflictions or for suffering, it's actually an open-ended word that can encompass all kinds of suffering. So even when your suffering is self-inflicted, you can still rejoice in that suffering and know that your faith will grow through this if you are open to allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life. And so suffering can be a gift because it will produce endurance and endurance will produce character and character will produce hope. And it tells us that the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. It's in the past tense, which is, it's not that it will be given to us, but that it has been given to us. It is given to each one of us, and you have access to the Holy Spirit. 
And so on the one hand, when we look at our own suffering, sometimes we look at it in suffering on our own. And even if it's self-inflicted, we can still be thankful for it because we know that through it, if we're open to it, we can learn something. Our faith can grow. The Bible says that our faith is refined like fire and it is more valuable than gold. More valuable than everything we're working towards. Faith is enough. And I know that if I were to open the floor, and we're not going to, but if I were to open the floor to testimonies, I know that there are many of you here who would say, like, yeah, my life was falling apart, but my relationship with God was growing so strong that even though things in my life, my marriage, my finances, my job, my health, all these things were deteriorating, and yet my faith was continuing to grow. So even though things were tough, like, it wasn't as bad because I had faith that regardless of what came out of this, my relationship with God was going to be strengthened. Now, I'm not saying that you have to go through suffering for your relationship with God to be strengthened, because that's, that, that would be terrible theology. But what I am saying is that when you do struggle, when you do suffer, use that as a moment for your faith to continue to grow. And so we've looked at suffering about what it looks like for ourselves, but also, and I believe that God will continue to strengthen us even more when we suffer on behalf of others. Because Christianity and Seventh-day Adventism at its core is about how we are to put our lives on the line and suffer for others who might not be able to do things on their own. And so I want to read to you a story, and I know that Ariana, our homiletics teachers, would probably tell us that we should never read long, period, long stories. Um, but I don't care, because this is a story that I think that we need to, I think would help us to understand what it looks like for us to suffer for others. Now, I, I found this story, actually Kara passed this story over to me, and it's a story found, we found it on Facebook, but it's on the page that's called Humans of New York. And if you've, ever, if you've never heard of Humans of New York, it was basically this young guy who started taking pictures and asking people their story. And it started as kind of a passion project, which has be, just become this huge, um, I guess, platform for people to share their stories and share their faith. And so, not their faith, but I mean share their story and share kind of their worldview. But it's also about learning how the differences in us aren't necessarily bad, but how by getting to know other people, we can give them more value and more dignity. I'm going to read this story. It'll probably take, I want to say, two minutes, maybe maybe three. So I want you just to kind of picture what's going on, and then we're going to wrap up with some, um, just some contextual stuff. So I'm going to show you a picture of this guy, and I'm just going to start reading it. This is him talking. I inherited this orphanage from my father in Rwanda, during the, the genocide between the Hutus and the Tutsis, okay, in the 19, 1990. I inherited this orphanage from my father. I was in my 20s at the time. I had other dreams for my life, but the responsibility fell on me. When my father passed away, he begged me, Damas, please don't abandon the children. So I promised him that I would never leave. When the genocide began in 1994, I'd been managing the orphanage for several years. I was 33. I was newly married. I had a one-year-old child at home. When I heard the news of the president's assassination, I immediately ran to comfort the children. Gunfire had began to enter the air. We were housing about 65 children at the time, many of them with Tutsis. 
I told the staff that nobody was allowed to leave the orphanage. And as the day passed, more and more people began arriving. I had a reputation in the community for helping people. So everyone came to me for shelter. Their neighbors had turned against them. Many of them were being chased by killers. I knew that the penalty for sheltering Tutsis were death, but I didn't have a heart to turn them away. So I invited everyone inside. I thought, we have institutions in this country. The United Nations is here. The danger will be over soon. Over the next few days, the situation grew worse. Bombs were being dropped all around us. The streets had grown very loud. The killers would chant and scream while they chased people. All of the children were terrified. We couldn't hide the truth from them because they knew what was going on. Some of the children who were arriving from the outside had witnessed their parents being killed. Even the babies knew how to say, don't kill me, I'm not Tutsi. The adolescent boys were especially vulnerable. We hid them in the ceilings. We had no fence around the orphanage back then, so there was nothing to protect us, just a line of trees. Every day the militia would come looking for targets. I'd meet them here at the entrance and try to bribe them with food. I'd tell them, I know your families are hungry. Take this and go away. Luckily, I had a shipping container full of porridge, corn, beans, and biscuits. But word quickly spread. The killers told each other, if you tell Damas that you're going to kill his children, he will give you food. So more of them began to come, and their demands grew larger. So our supply ran very low, and the people kept coming. Eventually, 400 people were being hidden in the orphanage. We were like sardines in a can. We had no food, no water, no electricity, no life. Our most desperate problem was water. The government had cut off our supply. We were packed so densely that the heat was unbearable. Whenever we brought our jugs of water, 100 liters would be consumed in less than a minute. After two weeks, we'd run out completely. Then one morning, I saw a car coming up the road. It had the markings of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. One outstepped a white man with a bulletproof vest. His name was Carl Wilkins, and he was the only American who had remained behind in Rwanda. I heard about you, he said, and I've come to encourage you. I took him around the property. I showed him all the people I was hiding. He could see that I was a nervous wreck, so he began to pray with me. He told me there is no way a man can survive this, but God will help us through it. I told Carl that we desperately needed water. Without water, we cannot even cook our food. So he promised that he would try to help. After that, Carl would drive to the orphanage each week. He'd bring water and milk for the kids. And to this day, I don't understand where he got it. All of the stores were closed. Carl was the only thing keeping us alive. Every week I was convinced that he would be killed on the journey. The roads were so dangerous, people would shoot out his tires, but every week he showed up with more water. And the story would continue that this, this man, Carl Wilkins, he was the only American who stayed behind in Rwanda, or one of very few. He used to work for ADRA, and we all know that ADRA is part of our kind of institutional Adventist Development Relief Association. And he stayed because he knew that the people needed help. Now, Carl was already a hero, but he also had young children and a wife, and he sent them home. 
And he went to plead to the prime minister, and he says, there are these kids, they need to be let go. They need to be freed. And they, I mean, I think the story is that he was almost like captured by the people around the prime minister because he happened to run into him at a radio station. And what ended up happening is that he allowed buses to go to pick up these kids, and he says nothing will happen to them. You know, in moments of these kinds of deep sufferings, I know I started this sermon by saying that it's easy for us to just kind of go in and out of those moments of empathy. And if it's too much for us to bear that someone else is suffering, then then we just kind of go into our own little happy place. But to be Seventh-day Adventist Christians means that we don't shy away from people that need help. We don't shy away from the people who suffer and who are afflicted. But if we are to be a people with a message of God's love, then we must learn to go into those deepest moments of pain and suffering and not only be empathetic, but do everything in our power to be able to do something to alleviate that. You know, it's interesting. Carl Wilkins would go on and say that one person can make a difference, but we have to learn to look outside of ourselves. We need to reach out to one another. We need to live for each other. You know, in those words of Paul in Romans chapter 5, he says, but we also boast in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces endurance. Paul and the disciples, those guys would all be killed for their faith. They put their life on the line every single day because they believed that the message that had been bestowed and given to them, that it was worth even losing their life. And they said, suffering produces endurance. And the more you do it, the more your faith will grow. And endurance produces character. And character is about learning to live in this life without fear and trepidation, but living with courage. Living knowing full well that the God who promised that he would see us through the suffering will be faithful to see us through it. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. For God's love has been poured into us, given to us by the Holy Spirit. And we have this hope. And we have this faith. And with hope and faith, there is nothing that can happen that will shake the foundations of who God is, what God's love means for us, and the fact that we get to participate in the work that God is doing in this world. So when you suffer, whether it's self-inflicted or whether you are suffering because you're putting your life on the line for someone else, know that you can boast in that suffering because at the end of the day, your faith is worth more than all the gold in the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are a God who knows more than we ever could try to know. And God, we trust that what your word says is true. We trust that what the disciples and the Bible writers wrote is not only true for them, but is true for us today. And I want to pray for my friends who are here this morning. For those who are here this morning, Lord, who are suffering, whether it be financial relational, family-related, health-wise, whatever it is, God. I ask that in that suffering, Lord, you would allow their, their faith to grow.
that you would allow their trust in you to grow so that the security that would come into their lives would be that you are a God who loves and continually pours into their lives. And God, I ask that you would give us courage, that you would give us courage to stand for those who can't stand, that you would give us courage to help those who are in desperate need, that you would give us the courage to speak for those who can't. Father, may we embody your love and be messengers of your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.